Look at all these people showed up, even though it's like raining in LA today. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, thanks for showing up. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, hello everyone. Um, this is Helen Joe, whose uh, yeah, show is up on the walls right now. Um, I guess uh, we can start doing like, oh, and I'm Jen Wang. Um, uh, I, I don't know if we should do a quick intro if, or if everyone just like knows who we are and it's fine. <laughs> uh, no, we should do, we okay. should do an intro. Introduce yourself. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm Jen Wang. I'm a, a, a cartoonist, illustrator. Um, uh, I'm also like Helen and I are both from the Bay Area, like way back in the day. So we're kind of like, I don't know, like old school Bay Area cartoonists. Um, I, I'm also I run a, a Comic Arts LA, which is a, an independent comic show uh, in December. That um, if everyone here is into comics you should definitely come check it out it's Helen will the be there um, and we'll have you know like all like all new stuff I think like you're doing a new zine with Youth in Decline yeah right? oh uh, yeah I, it'll have this in it hopefully it'll be out by Kella yeah <laughs> so uh, that's a uh, that's December 3rd and 4th uh, the first weekend of December so everyone should come check it out it's downtown in um, uh, the fashion district. It's at uh, Think Tank Gallery, and um, I think it, we always have a lot of fun. So I think you should. Oh, it's free to the public, by the way. So um, you know, there, there's no excuse. <laughs> it's my favorite show ever. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, oh, so I'm Helen Joe. I'm a. I'm an. I'm an artist, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what to call myself anymore these days. I've been having like a crisis of identity for the last like year and a half as to what my role is. I, I don't think of myself as an illustrator anymore. I don't think of myself as an animator. I, I don't think of myself even as like a fine artist because it's like, I mean, it's pretty lowbrow stuff. Uh, but I have worked in animation. I worked in, uh, in TV animation for a few years. And that's why I live in LA now. I'm originally from the Bay, from San Jose. And um, I don't know, what do I do now? Nowadays, I just paint and I do gifts for gift companies. It's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, I guess that's my new identity as an artist. I'm a gift artist. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Well, I, I guess maybe that, that would be a good jumping off point okay. with, uh, in terms of like just figuring out um, like your, your artistic discipline. And yeah. Like what, I mean, how did you, because I feel like you started off probably more identifying as like a as an illustrator. Is that right? Yeah, I think I mostly started off as like an illustrator slash cartoonist because I started with making comic zines back in college when I went to Berkeley, and that's why I dropped out because I was making too many zines and not going to class. And um, I think I didn't consider myself an illustrator because I wasn't doing editorial stuff and I knew people who were like, oh yeah, I work for the New Yorker and I thought that was so prestigious. And I finally like broke into it like just recently, like within the last couple of years and it's like, oh, this isn't for me. I suck at this. <laughs> I, have, I have a terrible time working with art directors. I'm not no good at deadlines. And, um, and I think I still think of myself as a cartoonist even though I haven't done a comic in a really long time. Like I think it's been since I've done like a full narrative comic, it's been like eight years. Um, so I don't know what I am. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it's funny cause like um, I sort of, uh, when I was sort of coming up, I guess, like I thought of illustration as, um, as more like the type of stuff you do, which is where uh, people just did drawings or paintings that were sort of their style. And I, I didn't oh, even yeah. know about, um, sort of editorial illustration until like much later yeah, and that's, I, that, that's kind of like a like a cool thing now like it's really mm -hmm. trendy and like a lot of artists are trying to get in on that because you can uh, I guess like there's like some prestige attached yeah. to it but yeah, um, totally. but I didn't you know I didn't realize that that was like a thing and before I thought you would be like you know I don't know like a fecal face like Mark Raiden like, yeah, yeah. you know like type of type of thing like that's what an illustrator was yeah that's I think that's what I thought too because probably when we were both like starting out like the early or mid 2000s that was when I mean Giant Robot was such a huge thing at that time and 
I'd, everything I learned was through Giant Robot magazine, and I just assumed that that was illustration as well. It's like, oh, illustration is people doing their own paintings and having gallery shows. And only later I realized, like, oh, it actually encompasses a lot of commercial work. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I think realizing that made me kind of wonder, like, oh, am I even an illustrator? What is illustration? It's, it's so confusing. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's kind of a, like a really broad definition, even though yeah. it's, it feels so specific most yeah. of the time when people talk about illustration. Yeah, totally. Um, especially now when, you know, you have, like, society of illustrators, and they're, they're like, mm -hmm. these, like, big, um, almost, like, like almost like corporate level sort of organizations yeah, <laughs> who are like totally. putting on these like, you know, cause like there are lots of companies that are like, mm -hmm. that use it in a commercial capacity yeah. uh, or like you know, they hire illustrators that way. So like it feels um, much bigger than, than I thought it was. Yeah, I think it's partly cause we came up in indie comics where it's like, you're just like some scrappy weirdo. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know, I I'll just like go to Kinko's. Yeah, <laughs> like, I have a like, Kinko's card. That's how I, I make money. <laughs> I just make my own crap. Yeah, I think that's what it is, is like, you go from this DIY community and then suddenly you're part of, like I, last year I participated, or this year I participated in the illustration conference, Icon, and it felt like this giant megalomaniacal corporate yuppie monster. It was like the weirdest thing I've ever done. And it was the first like real illustration thing I'd ever been a part of. And it just felt so different and people were fascinated by zines. They're like, you can make zines? You can just like put shit out? And it's like, you just, go to Kinko's or steal copies at your job. I mean, like, it's not, <laughs> it's not that hard. Uh, but it's, it's just like this weird, like, cultural divide. And, but then at the end of the day, it's like, well, we're all drawing. Uh, yeah, that, that's yeah. actually um, something I, I wanted to bring up to your experience working uh, or curating for Icon. Mm -hmm. um, if, for people who don't know, Icon is like the, the major illustration conference that they do every two years, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and Helen this year, curated um, the Roadshow, yeah. I think it's called, which is uh, a little bit more like a, like a zine fest kind of festival mm -hmm. that they do for one day. Um, and uh, and yeah. they hadn't done that before, is that right? Or Well, it was originally, it started out as a portfolio review. So every two years, Icon would happen, this big illustration conference, and they'd have a portfolio review in the middle. So students and emerging artists would come, and then the, the, the conferences, mostly attended by either students or mid-career artists and art directors. So people would come and bring their portfolios and, but then like, you know, in the, like 10 years ago, everyone started making merch. That was just like a big way to get your work out. So it turned, it kind of evolved into like a craft fair zine fest kind of thing. And so this, this year I got the privilege of choosing who got to get in. So I put in a lot of comics people. Uh, I, I wanted to put in more DIY artists because um, it's, it's actually kind of a big networking event for people who went to art school and I didn't, I mean I went to art school for like a year and I, I don't, I feel like as long as you're willing to hustle you don't have to have like you know an SVA degree or whatever so I just, I was trying to get a lot of, a lot more like outside illustrators into the show and uh, I think it did pretty well, people were, people seemed happy do you think it was like a conscious effort by Icon to sort of, um, since you identify kind of a little bit uh, as an outsider to that mm -hmm. whole industry, that um, having someone like you curate yeah. that show was part of their, uh, like an attempt to, I don't know, diversify? Their... Yeah, I think so for sure. Like um, on like a really like surface level, like they definitely wanted, I think they wanted a person of color to do to curate Roadshow because Icon is traditionally really white even though it's kind of like an illustration advocacy group. So they're like, okay, we want someone who's younger. Everyone on the board is older than me. They're all like in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And um, they wanted someone younger, they wanted a person of color, they wanted a woman. And I think they did want someone who was, who kind of is an outsider. The president of Icon at the time was Esther Pearl Watson. She did Unlovable, the graphic novel. And she, another cartoonist. Yeah, another cartoonist. Yeah. And I think she just she wanted a comics person, like a weirdo comics person who wasn't an art professor or whatever. And it's like, oh, I'm not a professor. I have nothing. I have no educational anything. <laughs> it's like Esther trying to change things up from the inside. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it, I think it worked out. I mean, it was really cool. I had a great time. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, I mean, do you feel, because um, you're doing it again, right? I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the board again this, for the next one which is in 2018. And I'll be doing the same 
curating roadshows. So if you guys are interested, you should apply. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I like for roadshow, you the people that I get to uh, accept into the show, they're not necessarily people who are attending Icon. So I tried to actually accept a lot of people who weren't attending Icon, like a lot of people who couldn't afford an Icon ticket because Icon is very expensive. Um, like young artists, kind of more, I tried to put in a lot of cartoonists. I really wanted to put in a lot of uh, young women doing kind of, I don't know what's considered like sort of more like lowbrow art. You know, like people really love making kind of anime inspired work and I think a lot of illustration people, professionals, they don't consider that valid. And it's like, if the narratives are good, I mean, who cares if the art looks like Naruto? I mean, if it's a good story, then I'm, you're in. I want you in there because you're talented and whatever. And I, I think that's one thing that always scared me about the whole idea of like illustration is that it's, you think of it as very like New York, highbrow, you know, like Ben Sean and like whatever, New Yorker magazine. And it's like, I don't know, I, illustration can be like down and dirty and poor. There are a lot of really great illustrators who aren't in the elite. I yeah. think especially with um, maybe the kind of rise of digital illustration, there's mm -hmm. like this very clean sort of aesthetic that, yeah. you know, like it's it's easy to, to kind of have that. Yeah, and yeah, so totally. I, I definitely feel that that's the trend in illustration. I mean, like also partly just, you know, kind of maybe harking back to like a mid-century modern like sort yeah, of thing, like everything's yeah. very, very minimal, very, mm -hmm. um, very put together and like kind of um, artificial looking, which yeah. isn't necessarily bad, but it's like, it's a lot of what you see out there. Yeah, it's yeah. like a really specific aesthetic and I just feel like people are missing out on a lot of other really great works of art or other artists because maybe their style isn't so clean. Like, I'm trying to think of any, like Mickey's Achille. She's just like the dirtiest artist. It's like, it's almost impossible to see what's going on in the image. There's so much, there are scribbles like layered on top of screen prints, layered on top of like a Rizzo, whatever. And, but it's amazing. Her work is so good and her comics are so good. And um, I don't know, that stuff is just as good to me. And I want more people to see it. Yeah, I hope that there's like kind of a swing back to interest in like really dirty, like, yeah. you know, grungy <laughs> art because like, I don't know, maybe like now that like the 90s are sort of coming back, <laughs> like yeah. maybe like this like grunge sort of like trend, you know, yeah. like yeah. we'll come back. <laughs> yeah, totally. Then, I mean, I yeah. obviously I really like, I mean, I, I know I draw in a really clean, tight style, but I also, the, I like the content to be kind of dirty looking, you know, like just messy shit, because I, I don't really like clean looking art. I mean, I like looking at it, but I don't like drawing it. It's, it's boring. I need to fill the space with garbage. And um, yeah, and I don't I don't like equating cleanliness with like a higher like better talent or like a better quality of work. It doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's very like, it's very aspirational, which yeah. I think is like kind of what um, is like selling these yeah. days. Uh, yeah. You know, the sort of like like Instagram like you yeah, know beautiful aspirational like, kind of th like thing is yeah. sort of what is appealing to people on a, a broad like, level yeah like living the anthropology lifestyle or yeah <laughs> like, I have like you know yeah. house plants well, now it's like the Muji lifestyle <laughs> the Muji yeah. lifestyle sorry <laughs> I only eat with wooden spoons and porcelain chopsticks and yeah yeah <laughs> um uh, I guess, well, I mean, since we mentioned uh, the artwork, since I don't know if you, you know, really ever get a chance to talk about, like, your uh, your art shows as, oh, you know, yeah. like, what you were uh, putting into each individual art show. So yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about this one a bit. Sure. This one was, um, I was, I really, uh, I really wanted it to be close to Halloween. So I, when Eric asked if I wanted to do a show, I was like, can we have it in October, please? And I wanted to do, I used to do a lot of horror comics, like really into Korean horror movies and Korean ghosts and Japanese horror comics and all that crap. So I wanted to kind of go back to that. And this, so this show there, I wanted to do sort of a loose narrative. If you like look at it in order, there's really loose narrative. Um, kind of about like in the, the first image is called, uh, at the very end, it's called Punishin Saba. And that's like, it's kind of like a Korean Ouija board where you hold a pen or a brush with another person and you say this chant and then you you know you conjure up some kind of spirit and you can talk to them and it works I've done it it's 
fucking freaky. <laughs> I just, I wanted to do... What, what did it tell you? Um, it was in gym, in PE, when I was like in like 11th grade, and my friend and I were just asking, like, did you die here? It's like, yeah, did you die in the gym at this high school? <laughs> and he's like, I didn't die here, but I died nearby. I, like, you ask yes or no questions, and it makes circles for yes and lines for no. And um, we, we asked, like, what's your name? And it kept writing the letter B. But then I was like, is it a B, or is it just, like, a bunch of circles? I don't, I don't, and, um, the number eight. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, we, you know, it was really, it was, I think it was more freaky because my friend... She was like the only Korean friend I had at school and she was from Korea, so she was doing this whole thing in Korean. And my Korean's like, okay, but it was, it was so mysterious and it was like, oh my God, this is real. They really do this shit over there, oh, what the fuck? And it, it was, it was, and it freaked me out. And I was, I was already like way, way into Ouija boards in, from like, cause I grew up in a church. And like, yeah, yeah so when you, when you grow up in that, like that kind of weird occult stuff is really tempting and weird. Oh, like, yeah, you know, ghosts passing by. <laughs> and um, so I was already really into, you know, calling the spirits and talking to demons. And it was never actually scary. Like in junior high, I would do, I remember once on New Year's, I was hanging out with a bunch of my church friends and we were doing the Ouija board at midnight. Uh, we were all at one of our houses and we were listening to like the KML top 100 songs countdown for like 1994, 1995. Or KML, something. by the way, is the Barrier like hip hop station. Yeah, hell so, yeah. yeah. And then we were listening and we would just ask dumb questions like, who's number one? And it literally spelled out Dr. Dre. I don't even remember who this was. <laughs> or like, I asked like, who? Oh, I remember we kept everyone went around and asked like, who? Who's your? Who's who's my guardian angel? And mine. I asked mine, you know, who's my guardian angel, and it's spelled out Whitney Houston. Uh, this ghost and is like with the times. I know, it's seriously, like, like it like it, knows what's up. It's way into the zeitgeist of <laughs> the mid '90s. It was super weird, and I was like, I guess I feel protected, but a little weirded out because like Whitney Houston, okay. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I just really like I've always liked horror stuff, so I wanted to do something with that conjuring. So this narrative is kind of about like a bunch of, you know, kind of skater girls, tough girls who. Who they're doing Punchin Saba, they conjure a ghost or more than one ghost, I'm not sure. And then it, in the end, it, come, it, it haunts them, it fucks them up. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I really like images where there's like really subtle horror. Like, um, uh, I think in the beginning when I was first trying to do like, oh, I really like horror, I'm a genre artist, I would draw kind of more like explicitly violent images and I was like not into it. It just, it's, it's boring. You draw like some crazy violent image and it's like, oh yeah, I've seen that, I guess. Blood, woo, guts. But then when it's, when it's like some unexpected element of the image, it's way freakier. Cause you don't, you're just like looking at it like, oh, it's a drawing of a bunch of girls. Oh my God, there's a face. There's a face, do you see it? I like that kind of horror. And it's, it's just scarier. <laughs> well, it's, it's a little scarier when you don't know exactly what's gonna happen yet. Yeah, right? totally. You're just sort of I like know. anticipating the worst. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, the suspense is really, that's like the best part. So do you believe in ghosts now? I don't know, honestly. Like I feel like I'm too logical to believe in them, but I want to believe in them, which is so stupid. Like, I know it's not real, but I want it to be real. Um, uh, I don't know, I think, I just believe that I'm like pretty dumb and I don't know everything, so if they existed, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, I'm curbing a little from uh, your baby geniuses um, like uh, uh, talk, but uh, do you have do you have like a a good kind of ghost like personal ghost encounter story? Do I? What did I say in that podcast? <laughs> uh, you, you you talked about um like a like what do they call when um like you you're like. Uh, you're like bedridden, or, or you feel oh, like there's some. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah I've, I've had <laughs> I've had some like pretty intense sleep paralysis episodes. Sleep paralysis, yeah. Yeah, I could talk about that. They they seemed pretty fucked up. Like Since I had this is Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> might as well. Like I had it a lot as a kid, and I'd always see like a person standing over me, and you know you can't with sleep paralysis you you wake up and you're not sure if you're awake or dreaming, and you can't move, you, and sometimes you feel suffocated. But as an adult, I've had it twice. And the first time was I went to Rome like five or six years ago with my parents. And we, we were all just sleeping in our hotel. And I was furthest to the right, so there's no one to the right of me. My sister and my parents to the left. 
and I kind of woke up in the middle of the night because of the time difference, and I heard really heavy breathing on my right side. And I was like, maybe it's just my own breathing, so I was slowing it down, and it was, this breathing was out of sync with mine, so it wasn't me. And um, the breathing was just like getting heavier and heavier and heavier, and then I, felt, I saw a hand like come up the side of the bed and like grab my hand, and then I woke up, and then my super Christian dad was like, let's pray, and I was like, I don't wanna, <laughs> I, like, I don't want that. Um, and I, you know, I don't doubt that Italy is, isn't incredibly haunted. There are like, we went to so many uh, cathedrals and every single one had, you know, like 10 dead saints on display, like covered in jewels or whatever. It was really freaky. And um, the other time I had sleep paralysis, I was in Joshua Tree and I went to the Joshua Tree Inn with my boyfriend and we, that's where Graham Parsons, the musician, overdosed and uh, died. And uh, we, we got the Graham Parsons room just thinking like, oh, they just must really like Graham Parsons. He's, yeah, he's so cool. And then when we got to the hotel, they're like, no, that's the room he died in. And, uh, and um, we, they, we asked if it, was, if it was like unchanged. And they're like, oh, no, no, everything is, all the furniture has been replaced except for the mirror. It's the one original piece. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, cool. Fucking, that's terrible. Um, so we were in the room and we were just like chilling and like two things happened. One was... Uh, I kind of fell asleep and we were listening to Graham Parsons' album, Grievous Angel, the last, his last album that he recorded before he died. And um, I, woke, I, I like sang along to a song that I didn't really know in my sleep. And my boyfriend was really freaked out. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think I knew the song, but I just didn't realize I knew the song. So I was singing along to it and I wasn't awake. So he woke me up. And then I fell back asleep and I had a sleep paralysis episode where I woke up and I could see my boyfriend, but he didn't, he wasn't aware that I was awake. And then a, a person, there was a person between us that I couldn't see who like climbed on top of me and started choking me. And then like I kicked him off and I woke up. And it was, and it was bad. <laughs> it just felt really wrong. And you know, when you're in Joshua Tree in the middle of nowhere and it's like, well, I think we went to Walmart afterwards to just like get calm. <laughs> Like what's familiar? Walmart is familiar, and it's kind of close. We'll go there. <laughs> I think I, I've stayed at that inn, but not in that room. So yeah. I, I'm glad that I didn't. Yeah, don't don't stay there. It's. I think we we honestly we picked the room because it was cheaper. Like there's some deal. We're like, oh, it's mm. on sale, and it's like, oh no, it's haunted by some ghost. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I guess uh, kind of maybe going back to the art. Um, <laughs> One thing that um, is a thing that, that uh, we both sort of have in common is we're both night owls, um, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to, to working. Totally. And I guess uh, I kind of wanted to ask what, like, you know, because like, I, I met up with you at one point while you were in the middle of doing... Um, uh, doing the show and uh, and you know you were definitely sort of you had like a flipped schedule yeah. at that point um, and I don't know I, I'm always curious uh, how people how, how artists kind of feel about uh, their their night owl habits because like mm -hmm. for me like there's there is an element that I like of shame that I've never gotten over <laughs> about it because uh you know like my my parents would say like, oh, you, you, you have to get a bit earlier. You know, yeah. it's like really unhealthy and you know, it's gonna, you're gonna be like sickly and, <laughs> and, uh, and just like this idea that it was like this really bad thing, but that I was kind of like, but I really enjoyed it, you know? And it was yeah. like really hard for me to admit that for a long time. I don't know, working yeah. at night is, it, I guess it is unhealthy. I don't know, like uh, I have diabetes, but I didn't find out until a couple of years ago. And after I started taking my current medication dosage, uh, I called the doctor, I pan. I was like panicking, like, I can't stay up all night, what's going on? And she's like, that's normal. <laughs> that's what healthy people do. I was like, no, I can't do this. And, but um, thankfully I got over that and I can stay up all night again. But um, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's like a combo, like sometimes I don't, I usually will, my schedule will get really flipped and I'll become pretty nocturnal when I have like some big deadline, like the show or like a book or something. And um, there are pros and cons, like the best parts of it are that you're just totally alone. You're, it's completely quiet, no one's awake. No one's like, you know, racing their car by your house at like, you know, in the middle of the night. It's, and like no one's bothering you, no one's texting you. Um, you're just by yourself so you can just think and work and not be disturbed and not, and like I live with my partner so it's like, 
when he's awake, I just want to hang out. I don't want to work. I just want to be like, hey, let's watch Black Mirror. Let's eat some donuts. Um, but when he, if he's asleep, because he's a normal schedule, like a normal person, then I can get stuff done because I don't, I don't, I don't have to talk to anybody. Um, and it, and also everything is closed, so you can't go anywhere. You can't you can't like distract yourself. So I, and I do, I do like that aspect of it. Um, it is it gets. I mean, freelance is already kind of lonely, so that's one thing that's kind of scary is that if you're too nocturnal and you work from home, you don't see people, and then you start to go crazy, you know, and like you, you, if, you if you're a depressed person, you go down the spiral of depression, or if you're an anxious person, you go down the spiral of like, you know, oh God, I didn't, I hit, I didn't meet a deadline today, and then it spirals down to, I'm gonna be homeless next year, what do I do? <laughs> so that's, that's the one thing is, sometimes it's not good to be inside your own head for that long. Um, I don't know, mostly working at night is, it's really calming for me because I'm an easily, easily stressed out person. And in the daytime, there's just so many distractions. Yeah, I feel like I, I'm a very easily distracted person. Yeah. Like, especially <laughs> like since we have like, you know, the internet like constantly now. Yeah, and this yeah. is like, I mean, it's like wonderful. Like, because yeah. like I have, I get a lot of stimulation, but mm -hmm. I, I feel like, um, like at night when, uh, when most people have gone to bed, that's when I can finally like really focus because yeah. like it's like the only people on Twitter are like in London and like I don't have that many of like of them as friends yeah. so <laughs> it's fine <laughs> yeah it's like I'll go to bed when Instagram stops updating yeah. otherwise I'm just gonna stay up and not go to sleep yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, I used to, um, you know, because, like, you hear about uh, people with really, really good work habits are the ones who, like, get up really early and, like, do all their work, and then, yeah. you know, they get up at 5 a.m., and I used to feel, like, like well, there has to be, like, people who are kind of the opposite of that, and, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's true, but, I, you know, I think it's, you know, um, it, it's just whatever ends up working for people. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, totally. They're, well, they're whenever I hear that kind of rule, like, oh, you know, early to rise, whatever, but then I think... That then I have a habit of like picking out all the examples I know, proving disproving that like oh you're an example you've put out like tons of graphic novels and you fucking sleep like at the weirdest hours and, <laughs> and I'm like well Jen doesn't do it so I don't have to <laughs> and I mean I guess those people are very efficient and they get stuff done and they're probably better people than I am but I don't know it's I I have like I I view myself kind of fatalistically like I I feel I. Uh, I don't even know how to say this. I don't think very highly of myself. Not in terms of my talent. I think I'm like really great <laughs> at that. But like as a person, I'm just like whatever. I'm just kind of not great. So I'm not gonna aspire towards being like you know Ben Franklin or whatever. It's like <laughs> it's like if I'm a shitty person that is only awake at night and I'm kind of flaky. Then, but as long as I'm like making stuff and I didn't kill anybody, I think it's okay. <laughs> I have um I have this kind of like weird almost like. What it what almost feels like a, like a Jekyll and Hyde thing where mm -hmm. I feel like when I when I'm in, when I am on that kind of like night owl stretch which is usually when I have like some big project um, I that's like where I'm at my most creative and like mm -hmm. and I think part of it is like a lack of sleep I think definitely <laughs> breaks down some sort of barrier some like uh, you know I'm like more I I, I feel less uh, how should I say it like yeah, like I just feel f more free to yeah. and to to do what I feel like. But um, yeah. and then when I'm on like an earlier schedule, mm -hmm. uh, like like now because I am kind of you know I'm not like working on like a big project anymore. Like I I actually get up really early, but I'm a lot more like kind of like A type productive. You know, and yeah, I feel like I'm yeah, a yeah. different person, and I but I'm not really as creative. I, so I agree. I think when you're awake in the daytime and you s and you're also like. When you're around, when you see other people like living their lives, then it's like, oh, you don't think about like, oh, what can I paint? What kind of weird narrative can I write? It's more like, oh, I gotta pay my bills. I better clean the house. Better vacuum. Better go to the post office. And that's what I do in daytime hours because, I mean, that's when everything's open, so you have to. <laughs> um, and I and I can't be creative unless I have like a really long stretch of unbroken thinking. I, I don't know, like l late night delirium. I think that's, like, yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of when you think of like the best. When you hit like the best stuff, you can think about it forever. Think about some concept and be like, I don't know. I guess that's a pretty good idea. I guess I could just do that. But then once you've been sitting there forever, just like doubting yourself and hating everything, once you get through that, then you hit the the sweet spot. And you're like, that's such a fucking good idea. I would not have come up with this at like you know 2 p.m. when normal people are awake. It's it's only at 4:30 in the morning, <laughs> after 
karaoke max closes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's only then. Like, I mean, even this show, I didn't know what to do for the longest time. I was just like, I don't know. I guess I'll just draw, like, girls, because that's what I always draw, hanging out, being cool. And then, but it was, like, in the middle. Of, I think I had actually just watched, like, five. They had uploaded a bunch, like, five new Korean ghost movies to Netflix, so I just watched all of them in a row, and I felt I felt haunted. I was like, oh my god, there's something inside me, and I have to f- express it in some way, and, and then I thought of the show, and I was like, okay, this is this is a good, an idea that I like, that is I like, there, really like. Is there any one of those Korean movies that you recommend? I don't remember any of the names, because I, I, you know, you just, you just keep pressing. They're all play. scary. They're all scary. Like, they none of the ones I watched recently were my favorite, um, like I have a list of favorites. Like I really like Yoko Getam, Girls High School Horror Story. It's a series. They're mostly pretty bad, but they're 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 all coming of age ghost horror movies that take place in like girls' schools. And you know, there's a lot of like teen pain, and I identify with that. I still hang on to that well into my 30s. And um, I don't know. Uh, I think actually I saw one recently. I can't remember what it's called. It's on Netflix, and it's it's about uh, a Korean orphanage in occupied Korea, Japan occupied Korea, and a lot of it has to do with kind of like the girls who live there. They're all sick, and they're trying to get better so they can participate in some sports program and then leave Korea and go to Japan, where everyone's healthier, it's freer, you're more, you know, less oppressed or whatever, and it's it has a lot to do with their identity because. I, their identity as Koreans, like in that era, like between like 1909 and like 1945, you know, Koreans, we all, they all had Japanese names. They didn't speak Korean in school. And so it, I thought that was kind of interesting, like having like a weird dual identity that you're, that's kind of thrust upon you. And plus ghosts and like <laughs> murders and stuff. And yeah, but I can't remember what it's called. So I guess that's not helpful. <laughs> Uh, since like uh, like your sort of your Korean background um, features very heavily in your work and sort of the way you um, uh, I guess yeah like the, the way you think about your art and stuff mm-hmm. do you feel like uh, do you think you would ever live in Korea for no, any never. Of your time? No, never. I would never okay. live there. <laughs> I I think a lot with a lot of Korean Americans, especially a lot of creatives who are Korean American, we have like a really conflicted, you know, I mean, everyone has a conflicting identity crisis struggles or whatever, but it's, you know, for those of us who grew up here, modern Korea is so alien and weird. It's like a country where, um, you know, what, what is Korean shit known for like K-pop and dramas and like really hot boy bands or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, um, you know, you go and it's a really conservative society. Confucianism is still a really big thing. Um, uh, art, the art world there is like increasingly more progressive, but it's still pretty sexist. Mm-hmm. Like if I lived there as an artist, I think I would have a much harder time. Um, uh, I think if you're any kind of like alternative person or alternative looking person, people treat you very differently, very openly. It's just normal. And um, that's I w- like every time I go back, it's, it's, on one hand, it's nice. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm with my people. I'm in the motherland. And then when I come back home, it's like, wow, I really hate myself and I hate my body right now. And I really am doubting everything about, like, you know, how my heritage ties in with my personality or something. Cause like, it's, it's just like a cultural shock. Like people in Korea, like, you know, they have no sense of personal space. They bump into you. They, they're really blunt about like, if they see something, you know, like, oh, your skin looks so much worse than the last time I saw you. But that's like, that's not rude over yeah. there. So it's just, I don't think that they're like worse people. I think it's just like, because I'm so, I, grew, I was born and raised here. I just, I'm just too American to live there. It would just be too stressful. Yeah. And then, you know, package that all in with like whatever like issues I have with my family who all live there. It would, ju- it would just be like this powder keg of horrible, like self-loathing forever. It would just be too hard. Yeah. Um, Especially now that there are, um, I'm like seeing so many uh, artists in Korea who, you know, like mm-hmm. are really amazing, and I, you know, I yeah. love to follow them on like, you know, Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. That always makes me wonder, um, you know, as as uh, um, I, my family's from Taiwan, I, I go like every couple of years. That like, you know, I always feel like, 
like is is now like okay you know <laughs> like like uh, is it is it better now like would I do okay there and yes. it's always like a weird like I'm always like I, I find myself checking in because uh, because if you have spent some some time there it, mm -hmm. it does feel very especially like growing up if you like kind of check in every couple of years yeah. like there is like a weird disconnect but. yeah I mean I also grew up going to Korea like every few years and it's weird because. I think it helps you realize, like, oh, countries and con cultures are different. Like, you, on one hand, you can't be like, oh, you're all, like, conservative, fuck you, you suck. But then, at the same time, it's, I'm not going to voluntarily go live on a continent where not a single country is, you know, legalized gay marriage. It's just, it's just like, a little too, I don't want to do that. It's fine if they do that, whatever, you know, do your shit. Be, you know, get there in your own time. And I'm not going to, like try to be like, uh, you know, oh, we know better because we live in the West. We're, we've already made it to that progressive point. It's right. more like, you're gonna get there eventually. But, and I'm like, I don't want to condescend to anybody because like, what do I know? I don't know anything. Yeah. I'm really stupid. I, so like, <laughs> like, the thing that, that kind of is like interesting to me, like, like, because you were mentioning stuff like, uh, like, you know, being a, a woman in Korea, that um, I feel like in Asia, like, like, like generally, uh, like it's almost like a reverse of what happens in the West, where um, the the sort of um, kind of standards for women are almost uh, and, and men are kind of flipped. Where uh, in Asia, there is like a very strict standard for what a, a woman or fe femininity is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and with with men, they're sort of more allowed to express a feminine side or, or masculine side. Yeah. And in, in the West, uh, it's kind of the opposite, where, mm -hmm. where men are very restricted and like the way they're supposed to uh, express themselves, mm -hmm. but like women are a little more, you know, like just allowed to kind of do whatever. And it, yeah. it, bo both of them are sexist in their own way. I know, it's you like, know, because it's like, yeah. but it's just like the opposite. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I think femininity in like, in like, at least in Korean culture, it's, it's so precious. It's really, you know, it's really tied in with whether you're a virgin or not. It's um, it's tied into if you're more feminine, you're more pliant. You're more willing to like, you know, serve your father and your brothers or whatever. And like, that's I don't know. It, it's it's not really for me. <laughs> it's 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 hard. I I think that's part of the reason I could never live there. Is those roles are so accepted as normal that if you deviate outside of that they're just like what's wrong with you there must be something wrong with you and but here it's kind of nice because it's like oh i just look like some weird agent or schlub and that's okay like i mean people still give you shit but probably not nearly as much as you would get as if you were living in asia and i don't know like i said i feel like they're all getting they're getting there in their own way eventually and it might take <laughs> them like a hundred years longer or whatever but they'll get there and um it's it's hard. It's for Koreans. It's all about appearances and saving face. So maybe it'll take a thousand years before they get there. But <laughs> it's it's something I'm not necessarily interested in subverting it over there because like I don't live there. I feel more American, and it's like I'll just and Koreans are very like uh, American artists are way like individualistic. But in Korea, it's more like you're doing it for the good of the country, for the good of your family, and like I don't really. I could never do, I could never, I can't think like that, so, I don't know. I feel like I'm just rambling now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I guess, um, let's see, well, I don't know if we have, uh, we have some time. Um, I guess uh, I was going to try to do, like, a sort of, like lightning round kind of thing okay. where like I, I just ask you very like unrelated random fun questions oh, awesome. um, and then we can do maybe that. some like Q&A if people want to ask Helen some questions. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, these are, I don't know, I, I wrote down a bunch but we'll see what, where we get. Um, what is your favorite burger in LA? <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, my favorite burger in LA possibly is the apple pan, um, the hickory smoked burger, but I feel like it's because I don't live on the west side and coming out here is such a special and rare thing that maybe if I lived here, I'd just be like, fuck that burger, I'm so sick of it. Uh, but I really like the hickory smoke burger at the apple pan. I think it's really good. Since, since you live on the east side, do you have one on the east side that you recommend? Or, um, or that is your favorite? 
Right. I can tell you what not. Don't go to Pie and Burger. Fuck that place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know what my favorite burger on the east side is. Like, I do eat a lot of burgers. I, honestly, like I just I really like In and Out. I think, I, it, I, like I think that's my favorite. Yeah. You know, it's so good. It's right. yeah. Just eat that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if you had the means to today, would you own and ride a motorcycle? Oh, dang. Um, I'm honored that you would think possibly that I might be that cool. <laughs> well, I feel like it's something that you would consider as like... A, I, I've a thing, thought you know? about it. You know, it's like, oh, maybe I should try to get a motorcycle license. But I'm also incredibly accident prone. Like, I feel like I would get one. I would spend like all this money and then immediately like fall over to the side and like crush my side. <laughs> I, I don't think I would do it. I'm, I'm too risk averse. Um, what I would like to do is to be able to skateboard, but even that, I'm like so risk averse. I'm like, no, I can't do it. Yeah, I, I tried and I like couldn't bear thinking about like falling. Yeah, <laughs> so I, was like, I, I think when, just you're, quit. when you're an artist, it's like my wrists. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So you, you just you can't. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and also like being an artist, you're like kind of the least physically risk adverse like yeah, we're all to begin like, with so I think yeah. we're just like way more precious about like yeah. things like falling down we're and all like skinning do our knees doughy and weak like <laughs> yeah. it's like why risk that for something that could destroy your career it's like no I'll just sit, I'll just sit here it's safe. <laughs> this is safer just stay um, did you ever have a Zanga <laughs> uh, <laughs> no I actually what? I know it's fucked up right like in the era of Zanga and LiveJournal, I wanted to be like different. So like the way to differentiate myself was I learned really basic HTML and I my blog was just like a, an infinitely scrolling block of text. And I would update it like, I would update the HTML code. I mean, it was like super primitive. I don't, I'm not a programmer or anything. And I was, and like, but then like, you know, when RSS feeds became a thing, you couldn't subscribe to it. You just had to keep loading it you had to come visit me. And I kind of like that power. It's like, you have to come read it. You can't, it's not gonna automatically refresh in your Google Reader, just fucking come to my website because I'm that cool and you just have to read it. Um, but then I missed out on the whole like community of like Zynga and LiveJournal and stuff. Um, I didn't get into social media until pretty late and it, I feel like I missed out. Like there were so many great cartoonists that I could have met way sooner, but it, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. For for people who might be um, a little younger or don't know about Zanga, uh, it was a a kind of blogging uh, social media platform. But it was for whatever reason, it was primarily occupied by Asian Americans, yeah. <laughs> like Asian Americans very specifically. I don't know about people in Asia if that ever no, it was got totally there, but Asian Americans. Yeah. Like, I remember I would like scroll through and look at like my sisters or whatever, and it's like you know half a dozen like Korean pride posts and then like come to come to Asian culture night and then like you know UCLA Berkeley whatever and it's like okay that's cool I guess I don't know <laughs> yeah. it, which is awesome but uh yeah I missed out on it I think I was like maybe one year too old to, to do Zanga yeah I I think I considered signing up for one but I I didn't actually know enough people on Zanga so yeah. I just felt like like I was a I was a live journal person and oh, like yeah, all yeah. my friends were on there so I just kind of there wasn't enough motivation for me to get one. Yeah. So I, I no, sort I think, of bypassed that also. Yeah. I also think I awoke, I awoke as like, you know, as a person of color. I didn't like explore any of that kind of stuff till my mid-twenties, like, you know, politicizing my identity or whatever. So I really missed out on all that shit. Yeah, I actually, I didn't have um, very many uh, Asian friends like mm -hmm. through most of my, my younger adulthood, like kind mm -hmm. of like, high school through through like kind of my mid-20s and yeah, stuff yeah. and uh for for a number of different reasons but i you know that's definitely why i didn't have a zinga but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I felt you know a little like removed from that whole community for a really long time and yeah. it wasn't almost until like i moved to la actually that oh. i started just hanging out with uh partly because there are just more i think in la yeah, that yeah, um more of us here, just sure. more uh like asian people that i sort of Mm -hmm. uh, could kind of relate to, I guess. Um, yeah, I had kind of like this weird, stupid thing in, in throughout like junior and high school where, I mean, I, I grew up in San Jose, in South San Jose, where it was very Vietnamese, super Filipino, really Mexican. And I, I thought like, oh, I'm gonna differentiate myself by only hanging out with like not Asians, which is like so immature and stupid, but I was 
you know, I was a teenager. I, I kind of felt that way too. Yeah, and yeah. so I was actively like, oh no, fuck manga, I hate manga, fuck the Japanese, <laughs> which is not true, you know, the Japanese yeah, I was into great. anime though. Yeah, oh, oh you were into anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, it was like this weird teenage thing where I thought, this is what's gonna make me cool and different. And then later I realized, like, it's not something you can turn off. I mean, it's like an integral part of your identity. People, this is like what they see, you know, and it's like the way they treat you based on what, what you look like is kind of, you can never turn that off. It's just part of you forever. And then I kind of just learned to, I don't know. I, you know, I went to college and I took some like ethnic studies classes and it's like, oh dude, the struggle is real. This is <laughs> fucked up. Why did I not know? And you know, I was just like ignorant and like arrogant as a young person. And that's why I, I always say like, oh, I'm so stupid. Cause it's like, I am stupid. Everyone's stupid. No one knows everything. And like, you know, we should always be humble and accept the fact that we don't, we don't know enough to make quick snap judgments about everything. Yeah. yeah. For, for me, I felt, because um, I just, like, uh, based on kind of how I was raised, I, like, my parents were the type um, where, uh, you know, they're immigrants, but they were, they were like, they saw uh, kind of the West as this, like, super aspirational thing. Yeah, you know, they were, totally. like, leaving this thing behind, and they didn't want really to be a part of that anymore. They yeah, were, like, yeah. leaving tradition behind, so they thought, like, uh, you know, like, you know, they moved to to Berkeley, California, mm -hmm. and it was like, they're like, hippies are so liberated and cool, and like, we want to be that, and like, <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. think, I feel like the, like, models for, um, for me growing up were, like, basically, like, Berkeley hippie, yeah. you know, people, and, you know. That's amazing, and, and so it was, it was weird, but, you know, but I definitely had, like, kind of a, like, you know, on, on the other hand, there's the aspirational part, but then there's like, well, also we are, you know, a relatively traditional Chinese family, mm -hmm. and so you can't ever really be part of either of those things in a way. Yeah. And I, I felt very removed from kind of like younger Asian Americans growing up because I felt like I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know, I'm not quite part of this or yeah. you know or anything. I wonder if I feel like we had similar experiences and I wonder if part of it was because the Asian Americans we knew growing up were just like too cool for us and it just like you feel that sense of rejection I, like damn I'm not like hip-hop enough for like the rap Asians I'm like I mean maybe I'm too white for them and then like for like the really smart Asian kids I'm like too stupid so like there's just nowhere for me to go I can hang out with the goths but they're like fucking weird too I, I had and it's just like you just feel like no sense of belonging because it's like oh yeah. I I mean I, you know, my experience is like yours, but we have no connection. And I, you know, that's okay. It just, you just find it later in life and it makes you a better person because then you realize like no one belongs anywhere. And yeah, we're all I, alone. I actually, for <laughs> most, for most of my, like, like through, you know, childhood and, and college and stuff, I feel like most of my good Asian friends were mixed race because I felt oh, like that was yeah. like kind of that in between yeah. where, you know, there was like some element of like, of tradition and, mm -hmm. and, you know, but also like a very, kind of white, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Western, you know, uh, kind of liberal existence. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like, all of my best friends who are people of color, it's like, we're, we're best friends because we've had these shared experiences, but, in, like, in terms of race, but also in terms of the fact that a lot of them are artists. A lot of us, we have similar senses of humor, and, like, we probably would never have found each other in high school because, you know, that's just how it is when you're a kid. You're not going to find your tribe or whatever till you're older and you're a little more mobile um and i don't know it, it worked out okay <laughs> yeah i yeah. this is a little tangent i guess but like uh I, I had an experience related to that uh last week where um i went to nevada to do oh, yeah. uh, nevada i think you're supposed to say <laughs> but that's what they told you have to say nevada you can't say nevada or they're they, like they they'll like they'll like they get mad. they'll be mad at you but um so yeah so i went to nevada to like uh, canvas for the the democratic ticket um and the so so you get on a bus and the person who was sitting right in front of me was someone that i went to high school with like this what? chinese girl that i we knew each other because mm -hmm. we had a lot of classes together, but we weren't really friends. Yeah. Um, and it was because I, like, you know, I thought of her as, like, a more, like, buttoned up, you know, like, um, like, kind of a super, kind of conservative, I think she was also Christian, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, Chinese girl yeah. who, you know, like, uh, you know, what ran for student council was very much, like, on the track to, like, go to some, like, Ivy League college mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of, like, like, you know, like, 
kind of a slacker. Like, I mean, I, I, I didn't get like bad grades, but like, I just like, I was kind of like, yeah, like, you know, fuck the establishment. I don't care, <laughs> you know? And, um, and, but you know, but then there we were and uh, I was talking to uh, my boyfriend about it afterwards and, and just how, how weird it is that uh, in the context of something like high school, you are a very different people, yeah. but once you're outside of that um, and suddenly you have so many things in common because yeah. you're the same age, you come from the same place, you went mm -hmm. to the same high school together, you yeah. grew up in the same community, yeah. um, and then all these things, like, even though you are very different probably like, you know, like personality-wise or, you know, um, you meet like within the scope of like the the world like you know now you have so many things in common and and yeah. just the fact that we're both you know Asian American women of the same age like mm -hmm. put us in a very different category and yeah, and totally. now you know now it's like we can feel close yeah. you know? <laughs> like even though like we yeah. didn't I don't think we cared about each other at the time yeah but then you find you have like a common bond I mean yeah, I, yeah it's definitely I think everybody changes so much over their lifetime and you can never you know, you just realize uh, people that you might think, oh, I'm never gonna like that person, fuck them. It's like, you don't you don't know that. You can never possibly know that. Like, in 10 years, they might be your best friend. They might be your lover, and it's like, people just, people just change, you change. Um, and I, it's, I've, I've been like, the last, like, I feel like I'm turning into a hippie because I'm just like, don't even judge people. <laughs> like, they, no one is above, like, uh, how, do, how do you say this? No one deserves your judgment because your judgment is meaningless. <laughs> and so it's like, mm -hmm. you know, just be open to them. Unless they're like, you know, like a fucking racist Nazi, then fine. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, sh I, I, I kind of like that. I always, I, I, so, so for you, it's like, you know, the Hillary campaign is kind of like almost like a great equalizer for you and this girl that you had nothing in common with before. I always think of traffic lights as the same way, like, you know, oh, you're, you're driving like 70 miles an hour on this local road and I'm going 40, or I'm going 50 and I, I cut you off. But at the red light, everyone stops at the red light. It's like, it's the equalizer. Like, you know, we're all just kind of the same really. And like, why use that to, I don't know, don't, just don't judge other people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what my point is. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like we all, most of us are like want the same things. So, yeah. you know, like we just come at it differently. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I guess, uh, yeah, we're pretty close to the end of the hour, so I don't know if anyone has questions for Helen or me, but... Yeah, or, or Jen. But, yeah. Jen's really interesting, too. <laughs> Nothing? Yeah, no, right. no questions is also good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down with that. Uh, okay, well, yeah. I guess... Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, do you do other galleries besides this one? <laughs> Do I do other galleries besides Giant Robot? Um, I have. I've done a lot of group shows uh, in diff like uh, I just had a piece in like that Playboy show at Slow Culture in China in Chinatown. I didn't draw any Playboy type thing. I drew just the thing I always draw, which is a tough girl smoking, and I and I drew like an up like a spilled soda cup on the ground, and I put the Playboy logo on the cup, <laughs> and I was like, that's that counts, right? That's good enough. And it, it was fine, I sold it, it's cool. <laughs> um, in LA, I've done some stuff at like Gallery 1988. Uh, I think I've shown like a piece of Nucleus. Uh, uh, like I've had, two, I've had two or three solo shows and most of them were here, but the first solo show I ever had was in a gallery in Germany, in Kassel. Yeah, in Kassel is in the center of Germany and there's a really big art school there, Kunsthochschule. And there are a lot of illustrators and a lot of video game designers randomly. So the, a lot of illustrators run their own galleries there. So I had my first big show there. But Giant Robot's been like a super huge part of my, my growth or whatever. Like the first group show I was ever in was, um, was a Giant Robot in San Francisco. And just Eric, you know, I, for a long time I just read, read Giant Robot magazine and I'd send Eric zines and he'd be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> And then after a while, like I feel like I kind of got better, and he he'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is good. Keep doing this." And, or I would like randomly see him and Martin Wong, like in like uh, I I think the first time I ever talked to him was he and Martin were trying to drive from San Francisco back to LA, and their car broke down in Berkeley, so they just happened to be in the food court where all the students were, and I was like, "Oh my God, I'm such a huge fan." 
take my zine. I know you already have like 30 of these, but just take another one. And um, I think after that, like I, I, I started being in more group shows with them and then with other like small galleries. Um, I actually haven't exhibited in that many galleries. Because uh, I, I think, because like what I mentioned earlier, like my art practice is kind of all over the place. I don't, I, sometimes I do a lot of paintings and then other times I don't paint for years and I'll just work in television as like a storyboard artist or whatever. Or I'll spend like a year just doing editorial. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I've done most of the stuff I've done, at least 60% of the work I've shown in galleries has been in, in a giant robot somewhere. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like, how would you, like, get into a gallery or, like, a comic convention? Oh, okay. So that's, how do you get into galleries and or comic conventions? So comic conventions, um, unless it's an invite-only show, you just apply. You apply and you show them your work and you make sure you have, like, a variety of work to show, either books. Or for comic conventions, you need books. You need comics. So you show them that. Um, and then you just you just keep doing it until you start getting into more shows. And the more shows you're in, the more shows you'll get later because people will start to recognize your work. They'll be like, oh, I saw you at this show last year. Come be in our show this year. Um, for gallery shows, it's kind of the same. Like, you just bug people. Like, you, you just hustle your work. You have to be a hustler. Like, the, when I was starting out, I didn't have, like, a network because I didn't go to art school until I was, like, in my mid-20s. So I would just, I would, like, go to shows, like, music shows and I would just bring a backpack full of comics and I'd like talk to people I'm like you want a comic I have a comic in my back you just you want one or I would just bring them everywhere with me and just give them to everybody and like and then social media like and then Facebook became a thing and then I was like oh dude I'm gonna flood all of you you know just constant stream of shit just like what um, so I feel like nowadays it's a good thing is like bugging people but also having a pretty good social media presence like post your work frequently Post a lot of your work. Make, I mean, the most important thing is make a lot of work, um, and you know, show your talent and put it online because no one's gonna see it and no one's gonna know about it if you just don't share it with anyone. Uh, this is a tip I always want to give: um, have some sort of website or oh, yeah. like. Uh, just like a place where all of your work is that has also your email address and how to contact you. Cause yeah. like surprisingly, um, a lot of people don't have a very central place where they put their work and it makes it very, very hard. Even if um, they're like an amazing artist, just mm -hmm. like for anyone to contact you. Mm -hmm. So we get, um, for, for our comic show, we get so many people who, who just like send in like, like a Dropbox link or something, or, you know, it's, it's like all over the place. And it's like, I don't know how to, like get back to you or it just feels like you're not ready yeah. if you don't have um, some like something put together that's very clear. Yeah, for yeah. illustrators, like beginning illustrators, they always say to have a portfolio website that has your name, your email address, and your phone number. I mean, that's kind of old school. You don't have to do that. Um, I, I mean, I don't even have a portfolio site anymore, but when I, I did for the longest time and that I got so many jobs just through random people clicking links and ending up at my site and now I just have an Instagram and it's like shit, but it's, I've, I, I, you know, I did the work to build the reputation enough that people are like, oh yeah, let me just Google search your shit and it's fine. But when you're starting out, you really need to have all that stuff in a central place. So Instagram isn't that great? So. Instagram's okay. Um, you know, the I mean, quality. Social, yeah, the social media stuff is good, yeah. but I think you, you need something other than Instagram. You want, to, portfolio yeah. sites are good because you want, you want people to see a high quality JPEG of your work. And you know, Instagram, it reduces the quality. And if they try to zoom in, it's really pixelated. And it's like, you want to show the best possible version of your work you can, so you just get a website. I mean, even Tumblr is better than Instagram in that regard. But for the social media reach, maybe Instagram is better. But I don't know. Just Yeah, just put like the best version of your work online possible. Not, some, not like some like, you know, 10,000 DPI GIFs. Like, don't do that. But you know, just, just stuff that looks nice on a screen and is high quality, yeah. Yes, Eric? <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you could talk about how working in animation has uh, what you've done in your drawings. It's killed me. <laughs> uh, working, so for, what has animation done for me? Let's see, I, <laughs> I, I mean, that's the whole reason I moved to LA. I lived, I'm a Bay Area native. You know, I grew up in San Jose and I've been living in Berkeley and Oakland and San Francisco for like a decade. 
And then I got a job on regular show at Cartoon Network, so I moved down here. I think working as a storyboard artist and as a revisionist, and then a little bit also as a designer later on. So I worked regular show, Steven Universe, as a board artist, and then I moved to Fox ADHD as a board artist and a designer. One thing it helped me do was become a better writer. Um, storyboarding forces you to become a better and more concise writer. You just learn how to throw out unnecessary tangents, unnecessary details, you just get to the point because you have a limited amount of time and a limited, you only have five weeks to, you know, to bust out like a five minutes of an 11 minute board. So you just, you have to be concise and you have to get all the shit that you need in there. Don't put any extra crap. I just, it, I think it's made me a more concise writer. In terms of art, um, I don't know if it's helped at all. <laughs> I, you know, you spend a lot of time drawing in these other styles that I wouldn't, I, I would spend a lot of time drawing in styles that I normally wouldn't draw in. And it's, it's cool, it's like cool to flex your other art muscles that you don't use. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the, the rules for TV, for like composing a shot for TV is like, you know, make stuff centered, make sure it's the first thing people see when they look at that shot. You know, think about camera angles. But then in, in my personal work, it's more like illustration oriented where you don't center stuff, you, you know, you do it on the grid of threes or whatever. And um, it's more like, for a television shot, whatever you draw might linger on the screen for like a second. For an image, it's more, make sure it's like something you put, you, uh, when you first look at it, it should be something that's interesting to the person so they keep looking at it. And then make sure there's lots of interest so they continue to keep looking at it after. And so you have just more time to draw them in, to draw in a viewer. So the, the rules are just so different that they just felt, I kind of comp compartmentalized them into two separate things. Um, yeah, I think working on Steven Universe kind of changed the way I drew noses, because they're very like particular about noses, and I, I can't stop drawing like kind of like more upturned noses. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> there was a question in the back, I think. What was that? Oh, oh okay. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Animation was cool. It's that shit's hard. <laughs> I I don't know. I still don't know if it's for me. I'm like trying to get a job next year, but it's more to just try it out again and be like, is this, do I want to do this? Do I want money? I guess I want money. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I do, working in animation is really cool because especially as a board artist, you have a lot of creative power. You know, you're driving the stories forward. You're the one determining so much of the humor and the feel of episodes. Uh, but then, you know, it's so much responsibility and I, what I, at the end of the day, all I want to do is paint skaters, and it, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> so it's it's hard to figure out. There's no balance. It's one or the other kind of. Um, so, yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, so like on college and getting a degree for art and mm -hmm. animation, mm -hmm. how important do you think it is, it especially with like the internet and stuff? Yeah, it depends. So I don't have a degree. I have. I'm a double college dropout. I went to Berkeley as a German major, I dropped out. And then I went to Academy of Art, don't go there, it's a scam, do not go there. Um, and I went there as an illustration major and I dropped out. And it's, it's, I mean obviously I can say it's not that important, but I know it's also helped a lot of people who have gone to art school. Like I think the biggest part of going to art school and getting the degree is, is the networking. You're working with people that you'll probably work with in the future. They're the one, in the future, they're the ones who'll, you know, they're the ones who will be art directing you, or they're the ones who will be your director in some animated show or whatever. And so, but then you can always build networking if you're just like the biggest hustler. Like, I think hustling is more important than school. Um, but if you're not going to go to school, you really need, need to make a large body of work. You need to make the work to prove that you can do the jobs. Um, so even though you won't be in debt, you'll still be a, alone and stressed because you, you need to you have to like paint and do comics and like just constantly hustle your shit and um, like yeah you don't it's as long as you make good work people will be attracted to that and they'll want to hire you for stuff I think in animation it's a, it's harder because you don't have like the guidance school gives a lot of guidance I think towards like job placement but it's it's possible you know you can Look stuff, you can look people up online, you can befriend other artists and figure out how they did it. I mean, I got my job because my boyfriend got a job first. And, and then 
and he happened to get a job on a show where a bunch of people had already read my comics, and they knew that I didn't work in animation, but they're like, oh, we've seen your comic. Do you want to be a revisionist? Do you want to be a board artist? So I was like, oh, okay, that's crazy, and it just, it worked out. Like, right now, a lot of storyboard artists are people who do, who are DIY comics people. They didn't go to school for animation, and it's, I mean, who, know, who knows how long that will last? Maybe that's forever. Maybe it's only for now, and you have to get in on it while you can, but, because the climate always changes with, with animation especially. Uh, but I don't know, I think as long as you try to learn a lot on your own about how the system works, and then you also make a lot of work, you don't have to go to school. Yeah. And if you went to school, I'm sorry, your degree's totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's it, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Jen. That was awesome. Helen. Okay. And um, I guess if, uh, yeah, you're, uh, there's like some t-shirts and zines uh, oh. from Helen.